bless you, Lord. We thank you for your invitation to follow you. Yeah, this morning as we were praying, um, uh, just Lydia had this image of Jesus standing right in front of us and saying, come, follow me. And this has been the... Um, the refrain of the last couple of weeks, come follow me, come follow me. And we recognize, Lord, that we often need boldness to do that. We recognize that we will need your presence, we'll need your power, we'll need your help. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I thought it was cold up here. Good morning. I am Edgar King. Uh, I'm the lead pastor, and it's so, so good to uh, see all of you again. Um, yeah, we love celebrating community, so I just want to start there. Welcome back, Bill and Chad. We've missed you. We love you. And then there's a strange guy, Kato. Yeah, welcome back. So that guy was our very first drummer, and then he didn't like Kenya enough, so he left, but he's visiting. Good to see you. And, uh, and, and if you're back, uh, or if you're here for the first time and I'm just not aware, you're not any less important. Karibu sana. We love you. Um, then I just want to, as a community, to celebrate something very special. We are all very aware that, you know, people come into this, to this um, place struggling with different things, and some are more obvious than others, right? And we made a commitment as a community to, to fling wide our doors and love people in, in, in people who we sometimes think it difficult to love because we know we are difficult to love ourselves. So if Samuel Washira could just stand where he is, Samuel Smama, if you guys can just look behind you. When Samuel walked into this community, he was struggling with alcohol, and he's now clean for one year, six months. Tunakupenda? <laughs> And we celebrate you. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> this Sunday begins Holy Week. Uh, Holy Week is, 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 is a week where the, the, uh, the church uh, thinks about Jesus' journey towards the cross of Good Friday and his resurrection. We, you know, we, we're slowly coming to the end of Lent, and this is the climax. Now, Holy Week, the, the journey towards the cross of Good Friday and resurrection. For years, the thing I've been talking about, for, for years, the church looked at these, uh, this, these two as, as two sides of one event. Jesus gaining victory. It's called Christus Victor. For years, this was just one event with two sides, death and resurrection. 
And, and it was the biggest, it was the pinnacle of all, our, uh, of all church celebration. Actually, people celebrated Easter more than they celebrated Christmas. But Christmas seems to make more money. Anyway, uh, sorry, I'm just being silly. Um, anyway, so, so it was a celebration of Jesus' victory over sin, death, the flesh, and the world. For this reason, he came. For this reason, Christmas happened. For this reason, angels visited Mary and, and, and Joseph and Elizabeth. For this reason, that Jesus would die on the cross and be resurrected. So today what we will do is I want to remind us of our own journey towards the cross. The cross was not just Jesus dying for us. So today I want to talk about the cross and, and the death of Jesus. And it wasn't just Jesus dying for us. It was him showing us how we must live. It was a model for the path you and I have to take. Of course Jesus died for you, but there was something else going on there. He was showing you and I how we must live, the path we must take. Or in, or in, in other words, on Good Friday, we had to say God is dead, but the other side of it was now it's your turn. That's what happened. On Good Friday, God was dead, and it meant now is my turn. Now it's your turn. One time Jesus was walking with his disciples and, and, and you know, he, he told them, he was teaching them and he told them, listen, if any of you really wants to be my disciples, well, but we've been following you around. Well, let, let me tell you all it is about. If any of you really wants to be my disciples, you must take up your cross and walk with me every day. They knew what he meant. And it was not poetry. You know, it's like, oh, take up your cross. This is a very nice song we've sung, but it sometimes it, it hits us just like poetry. Or, you know, good necklaces. It's, it's artistic and good drawings like the tattoo on my arm. You know, uh, crosses, crosses have become just, you know, symbols of salvation or just great uh, art or poetry. Or I'll, take, I'll, I'll carry you with this cross and all that kind of stuff. No, for them, it, for them, it was stark. It was dark. They lived under a tyranny that used crucifixion to terrify people. Probably as they were walking and Jesus was telling them this, they could see people on a cross. It wasn't beautiful what Jesus was telling them. There is nothing beautiful about it. Crosses were outside the city to tell people, anyone who dare defies Rome, this is what will become of you. But, uh, and Jesus clarifies, he's very clear, he's not mincing his words, he's saying, if you are going to follow me, you will have to take up your cross, you will have to die. And for some people, this death will be literal death. Ah yeah, I forgot to put up an image of every follower of Jesus, all the apostles ended up dying in very weird ways. Some actually on a cross. The difference between that of the cross of Rome and the cross of Jesus is that Jesus invites us to take up our crosses willingly. It's a willing invitation. It's a willing invitation, but it is still painful. It is still death. 
But Jesus says, hey, this one's willing. And the promise, however, is that on the other side of the cross is resurrection, is eternal life, is the life you really want, is the life you have been promised by the Father. But the doorway into it is the death uh, of, of the, on the cross. It's like every time we start following Jesus, he says, welcome, my child. Your sins are forgiven. And on the right side are crosses. Pick one. We've got to get that. The invitation is broad. You are welcome. You, all who are weary, all who are thirsty, anyone who realizes that their life is not enough, come to me and I will give you life. Welcome, my child. And here are the crosses. Pick one. Disciples, the disciples knew exactly what he was talking about. There was no beauty, there was no glory. The scandal of the gospel of Jesus then was that he who said he was God was talking about dying. And the Jews were upset with this. God should not die. The scandal of the gospel in our time is that we don't want to die. Like, how do I let go of this? But, but I worked for this. But this is my life. But this makes me happy. Still, it's the same rejection of the cross. And Jesus keeps saying, if you are going to follow me, you will have to take up your cross. Let's read some of that conversation in Matthew 6. Uh, we'll read 21 to 26 today. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And on the third day, he would be raised again. That was a scandal. You do not, you do not get us to believe your God and start talking about dying. So... This is exactly what happens. Peter took him by the side. You know, Peter has just been told, you are the rock. You've received revelation. God's spirit is on you. So he goes, okay, I know where God is going with this. Jesus has missed the mark. So he takes him by the side. I, won't, I, I will not embarrass you, Jesus. I will not say this in front of all your people. So take him by the side. And he began to rebuke him. Jesus, listen up. Never, Lord. Never, he said. This shall never happen to you. Get your vision straight, Lord. Jesus turned and said to Peter, he just told him, this has been revealed to you by God. Just like the spirit of the Lord is upon you, Peter. Then this is what he tells him. Jesus turned to, uh, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely the concerns of human beings. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow me. Jesus is looking forward to the cross. Peter is saying, stop. Peter tries to derail him, sorry. Pardon? Oh, what did I say? Sorry, Matthew 16, thank you. This is what happens when you order a pastor online. What you order versus what you get. <laughs> that joke still works. Okay, so Jesus is looking forward to the cross. Peter tries to derail him like, no, 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 you can't go to the cross. He gives him a harsh rebuke. 
We've been doing this series on spiritual warfare, and we're talking about fighting the, uh, the devil, the, the flesh, and the world. And guess what? You know, this interesting turn of events. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus says that anything that keeps you from the cross allows the devil room into your life. He looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Those are not the concerns of God. I must go to the cross. Anything that keeps you from self-denial, anything that keeps you from the cross you must carry, allows the devil entry into your life. So Joy last week talked about uh, footholds in our lives. Like anything that will keep you from carrying the cross is an entry for the devil into your life. So get behind me, Satan. At the center of the way of Jesus. The, the apostles and the church were, were called followers of the way for, for a long time. Before they were ever called Christians, they would just call themselves followers of the way. Followers of the way. The way of Jesus. So, yeah, George, if you could help. This is 10, I think. Uh, so, at the center of the way of Jesus is the truth of the cross willingly so Paul later on says that we are crucified with Jesus we are crucified with Christ it's not just that Jesus died on the cross for you that is true but Paul is careful to also teach it's that you are also on the cross with Jesus Christ if you are going to follow him Just take a moment and picture that often we see ourselves on the ground, if, if you, if you know, engage yourself in imaginative prayer, sometimes you see ourselves on the ground and Jesus on the cross and maybe we are kneeling and that's great. But Paul wants you to see something else. As you look at Jesus on the cross, can you see yourself climbing onto that cross and being crucified with him? Self-denial. Now, the thing is, the only time our culture will encourage self-denial is for selfish reasons. Our culture will not encourage you to deny yourself anything. Uh, you know that, that Kenyan diary thing? I saw one that said, uh, you know, um, ah, I forgot. Something like, oh, you only live once. When a Kenyan tells you that, it's probably someone who has never denied themselves anything. You know, um, but anyway, so, so, so our culture will never encourage you to deny yourself anything except for selfish reasons. It will, it will encourage, oh, study hard, but the whole idea is careerism. So you can, you can make money to afford anything you want, whatever you want, whenever you want it. Oh, you know, there's a, fasting has become a fad. Oh, intermittent fasting has become a fad, not for prayer, not for spending time with Jesus, or how do you cut some weight? And of course you will cut some weight. But you see, that, that's our, our, our society, our culture will only invite you to self-denial for selfish reasons. Go to the gym. No pain, no gain. That is true. But all the gain it looks at is yourself. Get well cut. But... But the way of Jesus and the way of the world are opposed to each other. The world's vision of the good life, the world has a vision of the good life. And it, it calls us to it. The world's vision of the good life is get whatever you want, whenever you want it, without which you cannot be happy. If you don't get it, you will not be happy. That's what the world keeps telling us. So go for it. 
be a go-getter. Do you want it? Get it. And if anyone gets in the way of what you want, that's oppression. Whether it's the government, whether it's the church, whether it's your family, that's oppression. And if you yourself decide, oh, I'm, I'm going to lay low, I'm, I'm not going to push for this, and then uh, that's, that's repression, you're repressing yourself. The world keeps telling us, get whatever you want whenever you want it, follow your desires, follow your heart, or you will not be happy. Everyone is invited to worship at the temple of me. It does not make me happy. Oh, I was no longer happy in that marriage, so I left. Oh, you know, uh, that, that, that church, you know, I, I, just, I just didn't like how the worship sounds anymore. And they weren't even worshiping you, but anyway, it didn't make me happy, so I left. I'm going to do this. I don't care. It's like the Bible, the Bible is such an old book. What, what should it have to say about my sexuality? What should it have to say about my marriage? What should it have to say about honoring parents? It just doesn't make me happy. But on this side is everything I desire and it will make me happy. This is what I'll follow. That's the voice of the world. Then Jesus looks at us and says, If anyone wants to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself and follow me. And let's just be clear, I'm not, I'm not saying deny yourself, like reject yourself, rather denying the self. God is not a cosmic killjoy. God is not going, you cannot, you cannot pursue anything you desire. Uh, the, the Father cares so much for you, He wants joy for you. He wants what is best for you. But we must trust that He knows what is best for us. We must trust that he knows what is best for us. Self is the sweet spot where the desires of our flesh and the lies of the enemy and the way our society lives come together. We go, you hear something in your head that says, you know what, it's okay. Nobody has to know about it. It's your money. It's your house. Do whatever you want. And your flesh says, I actually want to. It'll satisfy my greed. It'll, suck, uh, it'll, it'll gratify me right here, right now. And guess what? Everybody's doing it. That place where all these three meet, that is the self. And, and, and Jesus says, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. So Paul teaches us, crucify, let us learn to crucify the flesh with all its desires and passions. We must die to the world. We must die to the flesh. We must die to the lies of the devil, even when we love them and want them to be true. That's the path of discipleship. God is dead. Now it's your turn. God is on the cross to show you exactly how to do it. And how to do it well. But the thing is, most people try, even in the church, even myself, we often try to, 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 to co-opt Jesus. I like this, but I don't like this thing that Jesus says, so I'm going to live that out. Right? You see, th that's not the deal. It's like, he is Lord, you are not. It's not about liking Jesus. It's good when we like Jesus. We've been called to love, like, and obey Him. So we don't get to pick and choose. 
there's a there's a legend about the Crusaders. Uh, it's a section of warriors that were uh, associated with Europe and parts of the church. And during their baptisms, because there was a promise that everyone who will fight in this war that a pope had declared will be absolved of all their sins. So, so many people joined the crusaders and they were being baptized. But during their baptisms, they would leave out their, their, their swords. It's like, Lord, you can have everything else but this. This is my way of making money. This is my way of, of power in the world. This is my way of satisfaction. This is my way of finding identity. You can have everything else but this. And I wonder how many of us live the same way. We want to follow Jesus, but hold on to a part of our lives. You know, we're like, Jesus, you can have my Sunday morning, not my Monday night. I go where I want on Monday night. Jesus, you can have everything I am but this relationship. Jesus, you can have everything I am but this browser history. Mm. I, I want to keep that. Jesus, you can have everything else but my way of making money. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. But how will I pay my tithe? It's really a good. I'm thinking about you, Lord. Jesus, you can have everything I am but these thought patterns. I, I love sitting in this darkness. I love sitting here and just saying I am nothing or they are nothing. Everything else but this habit. Everything else, Lord, but this. And then we look at Jesus. And still the same conversation he was having with his disciples. He said, for whoever wants to save their lives will lose it. But whoever loses their lives for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their souls? This is what Jesus is asking. What is, what is the point of keeping that source of pleasure and losing your soul at the end? What is the point of keeping that lifestyle and losing your soul at the end? Can you really compare the value of one night's pleasure with your soul? Can you compare the value of a few thousand shillings with that of your soul? Can you really place a prize on your soul? But if you trust me, if you trust me, I know the way to real life. It is life you are after, after all. It is life you are after, after all. And I am life in all its fullness. There are two options. And these two options are diametrically opposed to each other. One is to deny Jesus and follow self hoping to gain the whole world or two to deny yourself and follow Jesus and like with every path they lead somewhere what you decide to follow will lead you somewhere so option one where we deny Jesus and follow ourselves is where we make desire the central goal of our life is we make what we want the central goal of our life it's our goal to become happy everybody deserves to be happy we've listened to that lie so much even the church doesn't disagree with it 
Oh, you all deserve to be happy. So if that becomes the central goal of our lives, getting what we want becomes so important, here's what we forget. The problem with desire is that they are insatiable. You could never satisfy your appetite. They're never fully satisfied. If anything, you only whet an appetite. If anything, when you look forward to something so much, once you have it and you experience it, you'll need a bigger dosage of it to get the same levels of happiness. Happens with drugs, happens with relationships, happens with you buy a new TV and it's like, oh my word, this is the thing. And then over time it's like, oh, it doesn't get to the end of the wall. I can't believe that iPhone 10s are not, iPhone 11s are not the thing anymore. And it cost me so much, you know. But that's the thing, desires are never, appetites are never fully satisfied. Partly because they, they, they point to, they point to um, our desire for God, that we can only be fully satisfied in God. Uh, the Bishop of Hippo, uh, Bishop Augustine of Hippo, of, uh, the, one of the early century fathers of the church, said our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. The more of anything you get, the more of it you want. A very wealthy guy was once asked, how much is enough money? Like, seriously, look at all this you have. Uh, Will Smith, uh, no, 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 forget that guy. Uh, the other one who was slapped. Let's side with the, let's side with the, with the, the slap. Yeah, poor guy. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting lost. Anyway, he made fun of Jeff Bezos that, that he has so much money, he got divorced and lost a lot of money and still is the richest man in the world. It's like, so, but how much money is enough? And this guy said, just a little more. We're never satisfied. So if you're never satisfied, you keep searching, what you end up is miserable and happy. You thought you were chasing happiness, you end up miserable and happy because you're always in want. And because you've become a slave to your desires, you start off with, I am choosing to do this. I am choosing to sleep here. I am choosing to drink this. You actually get to a point where you cannot not do it. It becomes obsessive. It becomes an addiction. You, you end up having to do it. Over time, what happens is that you're disintegrated, you become anxious, you become angry, because the life you thought you were running after isn't the life you have. The things you thought would satisfy that have come and gone, or some are staring at you, and you're like, wow, it didn't feel what I needed to be filled inside me. If, and what's worse is that eventually you lose your soul, and we're separated from God. There's nothing wrong with desire. We were created to, uh, to have desire, but the problem is that they are such great motivators and terrible masters. And the more we are given into our desires, and like I said a few weeks ago, we are lovers first. We have desire. Let's stop kidding ourselves that we are rational beings. No, we are lovers first. But we have disordered loves. So the more we give in to our desires, 
it only yields destruction. So it's, it's, not, it's, it's not about not having desires. It's not about not getting what you want. It's that we're not meant to be run by our desires. If all you have is pursuing your glory, your pleasure, your power to entertain yourself, and a complete trust in, uh, a lack of trust in God, then what do you have really? And I think that's why the, in a world that has mostly enthroned self, get what you want, nobody tell me what to do, hands off my body, hands out of my house, a world that's completely enthroned self and individualism, no wonder we are generally broken, more anxious, more angry. Why are we surprised that Putin believes he is right and he should do what he is doing today? Why, why were we surprised in a, in a country that has enthroned self, which leads to corruption because the cops can do whatever they want because it makes them feel happy and it's become a whole system and do you want to get what, what you want at that moment? Why are we surprised that even 2008 can happen? That's the world you get when self is enthroned, when what I want is what I want and no one should come in the way. The other option is following Jesus and it leads us in a different direction. When we follow Jesus, He is Lord, we're not. Our desires and our push to fulfill our desires are no longer what runs our lives. Now the irony is, the more you're surrendered, because it's not about not having desires, I've said, it's about submitting them to the Lordship of Jesus. The more you no longer need to get what you want to be happy, the more aware you become of the things already in your life and you actually begin to enjoy them. We learn to worship the creator instead of, crea of the creation. We learn to, to love God above the things he gives us, which makes us to begin to actually enjoy the things God has given us. You become more satisfied. Joy seems to be a product of what is happening inside you, not necessarily what is happening outside us. Maybe happiness is spelled content. And you can only be content if you're no longer dying to get what you want. If that is no longer the central goal of your life. When we learn to enjoy the life we have, not the one we want. And we all sometimes want, often want different lives, right? When you learn to be content with your marriage or your singleness, when you become content with your financial status, when your ordinary life becomes enough, This is where we get joy. This is how we get joy. As we surrender to Jesus and He is Lord and we stop pursuing obsessively our desires, our wants. When we realize that Jesus is life and not the things we want, we actually begin to start finding life. When Jesus is king, we end up integrated despite the fact that your life has problems. Have you ever realized that when you finally fix that problem, another one says, my turn. Now, you might have a break for two weeks, so don't, don't be all sad. But have you ever realized when, when you go, oh, nothing is going wrong, 
sometimes you should ask yourselves the question, what might go wrong next? But living life with Jesus as king, we end up integrated and at peace. This, you know, we, we recognize the fact that all of us will live with unsatisfied desires on this side of heaven. All of you. Me too. We all will live, even if you satisfy that thing that you think this is the one that will make me happy, you'll begin to realize that there's something yet to be satisfied because our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. So following Jesus gives us peace despite all that is happening, which leads to wholeness and integration. This peace can only come when we deny ourselves when we find our center in God, when, when, um, um, when we become free from the dominion and the tyranny of wants. The worst tyrant, uh, tyrants of the world are wants. If we, want, if we need to have our wants, we are living in bad shape. We're liberated from getting what we want in order to be happy. It's not, it's not that you cannot pursue what, what you want, but if if that is what will bring happiness to you and even comes in the way of the cross, it allows the enemy into our lives. And only then can we find real life, the life that is your deepest desire, the life that is our deepest desire. I want to remind us that there's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to following Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your body and strength. But each one of us here knows that love always costs something. Love is <laughs> it's beautiful, but it's, it's inconvenient. It will cost you time. It will cost you money. It will cost you habits. It will cost you other relationships. It will cost you the world. It's the same thing. You're invited to love God with all you have, it will cost you money, it will cost you time, it will cost you habits, it will cost you relationships, it will cost you the world, it will cost you, you. Any other message is cheap grace. Now, I'm not saying that you have to do anything to be forgiven. I'm not saying that you have to do anything to, 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 to find Jesus. He's done that. But to follow Jesus has a cost. Jesus once said, nobody builds a house without casting the, uh, counting the cost. Nobody goes to war without counting the cost. Putin counted costs. And now he's calling people going, ah, come on, help me with some. I have ran out. Following Jesus will cost you something. And that cost, the cost of discipleship is self-denial. We must be crucified with Jesus. Now, but Jesus is also very clear. Because one would think, oh, then following Jesus is hard. It's not fun. If I have to lose all this, it's, that, that's just in the short term. Because Jesus is also clear that according to him, the cost of non-discipleship is higher. The cost of not following Jesus is higher. We often focus on, oh, look at what I gave up to follow Jesus. Oh, look at... I, I had to walk away from that. I'm like, yeah, but the cost of non-discipleship is worse. What is the point of gaining the whole world and losing your soul? 
And we ignore that because it sounds more like, oh, one day in judgment, well, I'll, 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 repay, I'll ask for forgiveness right before I breathe my life. <gasps> I've done it. But that's not really the point. Because this, this is not a preparation for another life. This is part of life eternal. So who you're becoming now is important. Have you met, I've used this example so much in this series, but I'm going to do it again. Have you met some old people who are obnoxious and not fun to be around? They have become a kind of person. You're becoming someone. At 80, your grandkids will run towards you or not. And if you don't have grandkids, it, it'll be, Okay, for those who didn't hear it, people will see you coming and go, uh-oh, it's James again. And then they just behave, they're busy. And then there's some people, older people, who've become grace. They don't just do good things, they're good people. They don't just do kind things, they're kind people. They've been transformed. You sit around them and you go, oh, I was in the presence of the Father. That's the invitation. Who are you becoming? They're finding life. And eventually, we actually find ourselves with God or not. Jesus used the language of heaven and hell, and the church doesn't want to use that language anymore. It's just too mm, politically incorrect. But Jesus used it unapologetically. And Gehana was this place where it was just death, because history had it that, that those who would sacrifice their babies to, to idols would throw them there. It was death and stench. And Jesus is saying, if you... Not, not choosing heaven means you're choosing hell. And some people go, well, how would a God of love send people to hell? And what if it's not about God sending people to hell? But imagine if, you, if we keep choosing a life where Jesus is not Lord, then wouldn't it be injustice if you're then forced to live in eternity where Jesus is Lord? So maybe in a way, hell is what people choose and, and, and mercy is God allowing them. I'm going to call up the band as we finish. So this will begin Holy Week. Today begins Holy Week. We're gently headed towards the cross of Good Friday. We'll have a great worship celebration here on Wednesday. And I encourage all of you to come. Come join us. Come let's just spend time with each other and with Jesus. We celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus we celebrate God's victory. And we receive God's promise of victory in spiritual warfare. There's victory over the devil. There's victory over the flesh. There's victory over the world. And that, the only way to get that victory is through apprenticeship under Jesus. It's through following him. Which means being, like, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and living like him, and doing the things he did. And the cost of all this is self-denial. I invite you to stand. You and I are being invited to take up our crosses.
But do not despair. Jesus has conquered the world. The promise is life in return. It may not look like that now, but Jesus keeps his promises. And at the end, if we trust him, at the end is life in return, is resurrection. When Paul wrote that we should not get tired of doing good deeds, he actually wasn't talking about kindness and those are good. It was actually in the context of self-denial. Don't get tired. It does get exhausting to keep saying no to the world. It does get exhausting to keep walking away from things you think would have really made you happy. And Paul says, don't get tired of doing good deeds. So I just want to invite you. I want to release this, but I'm going to ask you to sit for a moment in God's presence and, 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 and let the Holy Spirit go uh, show you which cross you're supposed to pick. Where is he saying, okay, this one has to go. And he is gentle. He will lead you through it all. He will walk with you. And I, right now I just see the image of Jesus falling on the ground under the weight of the cross and the women of Jerusalem helping him up. You might fall under the weight of the cross and the Holy Spirit will lift you up. But will you decide today that it's more than believing the right thing that you'll actually follow. So I want to end with these words. What good is it for, for someone to gain the world and lose his soul? Lord, we bless you. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so we're grateful for your kindness. Give us the strength to follow. Give us the strength to say yes to you every single day. 